0: With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Welcome to After 9. I'm your host, Rez Krebs. And today we're here with Jen Piggin from the Omnica Arc Center. Welcome, Jen. Are you on there? Can we hear you? I'm there, yes. Yeah. There we go. Uh, and, uh, yeah, welcome to the show, Jen. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about your, your organization, the Amanika Arts Center, which I believe is an arts run, uh, artists run organization and, and kind of how Amanika, I guess, uh, fits into the social fabric of our city. But I really just wanted to start, uh, I really wanted to start in about kind of how you got into the arts and how long you've been running Amanika. Kind of give us a little bit of a background there.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess in high school, I was interested in art to start with, uh, with one of those things, right? Um, and I decided to pursue it as a career, went to Emily Carr and decided that make a career out of it. It would be a good thing to teach. I saw the potential for art as a teaching tool, right? Um, people can learn in different ways, and that was one of the ways that connected with me. And then while I was at Emily Carr, I thought about doing some... Um, I really enjoyed the art scene in Vancouver and the artist-run centers and how there was such a nice community and how, um, you know, it's not people break out of the mold and learn so much in different ways. So, um, anyways, I fast-forward to Prince George when I was teaching and stuff here. The um, Almanica started actually out of a project with Emily Carr's living lab called the Neighborhood Time Exchange, and that was around 2015. Um, and there was a group of artists when that was coming to a close uh, led by Rowan Wittekes. She got a bunch of us together and had like a community arts group that kind of explored what we wanted to be in Prince George as a community. Um, so we had, you know, artists like Betty Classic, uh, Kat Siverstein, um, myself, Evan Campbell, Danny there's like a whole bunch of different artists from different areas. Um, Rob Buddy, so... We realized we wanted to have something like a community art space downtown where people could access studio space um, and where we could have cross-disciplinary opportunities for people to explore the arts and kind of see where they come together and where they merge. So we designed uh, a plan with the support of Emily Carr to... um, put together kind of a business plan and move forward with an artist run center. It's a volunteer run center that, uh, yeah, I carried out of there on third Ave at the, at the old location of the neighborhood time exchange. And, um, it's just really been kind of exactly that it's kind of evolved out of, um, just a small group of artists wanting to create opportunities for the arts to kind of thrive in Prince George and, you know, have a presence downtown that wasn't, um, you know, one of the big galleries and wasn't just, you know, Studio 2880. The problem with that one was that it was kind of far away from downtown and it didn't have much space for artists to, you know, collaborate and, you know, possibly do things like theater, um, literary work, and music.
1: Very cool. And uh, just a quick question, how long has Amanica Art Center been around for?
2: Uh, we incorporated in 2017, but we were working on that and operating prior to that. So we're an incorporated nonprofit organization. Um, we started um, Omnika in 2016.
1: Okay, it sounds very dynamic. And Can you tell me a little more about what you mean by uh, multidisciplinary? Because I, I, I kind of know that some of those folks you mentioned—they do—it's not just about painting. Let's say it's all there's all sorts of other kinds of arts going on here. Eh?
2: absolutely we're um we kind of support the arts in every possible facet and maybe even ways we don't even know but um one of our we've got three different variations of logos, and one is uh kind of reflective of the inclusivity of the various art forms, so we have like theater art, literary art um you know music uh the visual art, uh and sorry everything in between <laughs> pretty much and anything beyond for um, really hoping and have had some um opportunities for those things to intersect and so that's one of the big um things is we're we're about the space um and we really want it to be a safe space for, as we say, creativity to flourish and create opportunities for community and all those various art forms to intersect with a strong like, focus on supporting our northern artists and regional artists underrepresented, you know, like in the grand scheme of, you know, the B C arts community.
1: Right and so can you give me some examples about how you how you do support our northern artists here how you make a safe space for creativity what kind of programs do you run
2: um, I think our biggest most important program that we run is our artist in residence program um, we accept applications from artists anywhere really um, but we do have you know in the application and we try to select artists based on the diversity of our community so We try to ensure that we're um, having a good representation of, you know, mainstream artists and mainstream events, but also marginalized artists like Indigenous artists, youth, um, people living with disabilities, um, emerging artists, as well as professional artists. We just really want to help amplify the voices of these people. So, for example, um, some of the Indigenous artists we've had in the past, uh, well, I could say two years now, given we had the pandemic, we're... um, you know, like Joseph Cunningham, James Corbier, uh, Jean uh, Jean Baptiste Barry, and Crystal Ben was the last last month's um, exhibition, and then we have youth group exhibitions. So we often run the unfold. We've had three mm-hmm. versions of this with um, emerging artists that can apply. So that's kind of getting our youth, and also just because you're emer- uh, emerging artists, in you're youth uh, might be just starting your practice in the arts. And then people living with disabilities like Troy Lindstrom, as well as some of the other artists mentioned, uh, and letting them have um, a a stage to communicate their messages and share their experiences. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. I should say, uh, you know, full disclosure here. Uh, my band played at the Amanica uh, what, in March. That was a fantastic experience. And I know a couple of the artists that have, uh, have had, had, had exhibitions there. It's always been very supportive. Um, so beyond, say, uh, artists in residence and, and the kind of, um, you know, really displaying as a gallery, I know that, I know that you do, uh, host a variety of community-oriented events. Could you talk a little more about those?
2: Oh, absolutely. We have, um Various things that a lot of our groups are volunteers so they they may book the space and run volunteer programs um, you know salsa Tuesdays is one of those things to bring people together and especially during the pandemic, we called it salsa um, fitness <laughs> to make it accessible um, and uh, we do things like fundraisers we've had fundraisers for the UNistoten and Gidomden um you know, land defenders, uh, we're looking at a fundraiser coming up on May 27th for Moccasin Flats, uh, to have a community garden for them. Um, yeah, we've had, we, we are often, um, approached for supporting, uh, community organizations as well, like, um, the Cold Snap Festival. Um, we have, uh, some user groups like the Mankind and, uh, we had beating groups that would come in. And so we just offer that space, you know, by donation. We want it to be at, at the most um, accessible to everyone. So uh, trying to limit that barrier for some people. And then uh, we, I think the biggest thing that has really been helpful I, from my experience with people is um, bringing, bringing out community members who, you know, have uh, struggles in the community that they find this place to be. Uh, a place where they can go where they're safe and can build friendships and break down their, their anxieties. I guess anxiety seems to be a big thing these days and it's really important um, for for us to support, support our community in that way.
1: Right now, that kind of actually really feeds into my next uh, question here about how arts contribute to the city's social fabric. Um, you know, we've, You're downtown, I'm downtown here at uh, the CFIS uh, station, and I also work in the building. Um, You know, we have a lot of social issues that are affecting Prince George, and we hear a lot about it in the news. Um, How do you see the arts and and the Amanika Arts Center specifically contributing to making these problems better or resolving these issues?
2: Um, I I find that uh, the, the arts are really good play a strong role in, in supporting people's mental health, whether they're just learning, just doing it to experience it, um, or if they're professionals and just needing, to, you know, an avenue to communicate their messages, um, that mental health aspect is really tightly connected with the art um, and people's well-being, even just experiencing new things. And um, And then, of course, you know, in all various disciplines of art, as well, um, and being able to fundraise and raise awareness for these things. Um, and I think also it's always uh, really important for our community, for our youth, for, for all of us really to work on our creative side and the critical thinking that's connected with it, um, being able to express ourselves for our well-being uh, and communicate, um, you know, even for the mainstream, but also especially the marginalized um, members of our community really amplify those voices and uh, kind of create a common ground where, where people get to know each other a little better on, on a different level. Most of our lives are focused on what our careers are. Um, and, you know, for some people, it's just survival, but trying to go beyond those into a space where, you know, back in the day, people would be part of a community and supportive of each other and know more about each other. So it gives us opportunities to get to know each other better.
1: Hmm. I, I, you know, it's... What would you say to someone? Because I, I think that I, I, what you're what you're speaking about really uh, it speaks to me. I, I see a lot of people who aren't able to, you know, who are, who are so caught up in in some of these issues that we're facing that they're not able to speak across difference. They're not able to have a conversation with someone that they might disagree with. But it seems to me they might be able to come into the Almanique Art Center for instance and maybe do something together creative that might bring them together in a, in a, in a less intellectual way, in a more kind of human way um, what would you say to somebody who might be reticent about uh, coming in and, and doing a creative project with with their neighbors that they may not have, uh, they may not agree with totally yeah that's, a, that's you know
2: that's a tough one because people you kind of have those worries but i think a lot of times it's all about relationships so as you build those relationships those um misconceptions or even those lack of understanding and the misunderstandings can can fall apart like you know breaking down the berlin wall (laughs) slowly one piece at a time inside of yourself and um inside of others just by building relationships um you know there's there's um something i i i'm really excited about coming up there's a Next month, we have a community exhibition through Plural BC, a photo voice project where they're blending uh, health, um, economic research and art, looking at the challenges and advantages of living in rural and remote areas in northern BC. And I think that's like one of those pieces that even if you're not comfortable, you know, given the pandemic, being physically with other people, there are ways to communicate and interact with each other and learn from each other. You know, we've. Come a long way in the last couple of years with technology, being able to engage in other ways, and I think um, relationships and can be built if not in person um, through through the arts um, at a, a little bit more of a comfortable distance for some people.
1: That's very cool. Um, so I I know that you are uh, a member of Clinton Tanay, I believe you are, um, yep. and I was wondering, you know how you see Amanika's vision and mission contributing to reconciliation in Prince George and in British Columbia and, you know, in general?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, well, we obviously are supporting Indigenous artists and, and messages being shared by them. And, uh, you know, especially for the Klaitli I think it's really, um, as a member of the Klaitli and a person who's of DACA um, culture, it gives us a place that, um, you know, the name Amanika is actually a 2nd uh, word, but it gives us a place to kind of feel like we belong, a place to go, uh, and, you know, not have to worry about how much it's going to cost or, um, how, you know, feel like we're not going to be in a safe space because that's really one of those big things. Um, but really amplifying those Indigenous voices and, um, you know, for example, the Castan drummers, they meet, uh, twice a week there and, um that's really building that community because in a drum group, you're a family. Same with the beating group, right? Everybody just it gives us that opportunity um, as Indigenous and people to the land to, to share our messages, to gather, because um, there's not very many gathering places uh, that are open. Um, however, Almanica is one of those places that, you know, being artists um, and volunteer run, we don't have our doors open all the time, but we do have volunteers that are able to organize those things. And even some of the events that happen... You know, not in the public realm. Um, Again, there's that opportunity for the community to be supported and, you know, come together and come up with ideas and do projects and things as well.
1: That's beautiful. All right, well, we're going to take a short break here and we'll be back after a few messages.
3: Hi, this is The Wolfman. Few entertainment genres have captured our imagination and been as successful as the good old-fashioned musical. From their vaudevillian roots to today's blockbusters, musicals have provided generations with a stream of memorable productions, show-stopping performances, and larger-than-life personalities. Join me for a unique adventure as we trip the light fantastic across more than a century of musical theatre, from Broadway to the West End and all points in between. On with the show, Sunday afternoons at 2, only on Boomer Radio 93 Point one FM.
4: Feeling snacky? Pop by either Boston Pizza location for Appy Hour every day from 3 to 8. Boston Pizza has amazing drink features, friendly staff, and tons of options no matter what you're craving. If you want to stay home, Boston Pizza has you covered with dynamite online bundle deals for your takeout or delivery needs. Give them a shout or order online at bostonpizza.com to place your order today. Stay safe and thank you for your continued support of Boston Pizza.
5: Tops and Bottoms continues to provide the women of Prince George with great support. Make an appointment today and take advantage of their unsurpassed one-on-one fitting service. Tops and Bottoms will make sure that your bra is comfortable and fits you well. Need a new bra? No problem. Make an appointment online at topsandbottoms.ca or call 250-614-1553. Tops and Bottoms, great support for the women of i uh, Prince George.
3: Forecast from Environment Canada. For today, a few showers ending late this afternoon, then cloudy. Wind from the southwest at 20K starting near noon, a high of 8. Tonight, mainly cloudy. A 30% chance of showers this evening with southwest winds becoming light, a low of 0. On Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud becoming cloudy in the afternoon. Wind from the west at 20 starting near noon and a high of 12. <music>
0: It's After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Welcome back to After 9. I'm your host, Rez Krebs, and today we're here with Jen Piggin, uh, volunteer and co-chair at the Amanika Artist Run Center Society. Uh, So, Jen, you know, we've been talking about your organization and the kind of services that you provide to the city. Could you tell me a little bit more about how it... What what does it mean to be artist run? (laughs)
2: Oh, that's, um, you know, it's... It's really exciting to have um, an art gallery or art space um, that's run by artists versus, you know, run by um, the city, for example. Or, uh, you know, it's just I think it gives us the opportunity to be a little more creative, out of the box, um, and not to stick to like when I when I say run by the city, I mean more run by the gallery scene because the gallery scene is really structured, right, um, and how it organ- how it works. Um and it, and it can be a little intimidating, it can be a little inaccessible to people. Um, so this is like it's, it's way more fluid, uh, and you're amongst peers, people who are like minded, not necessarily saying that everybody thinks the same way or has the same views, but um, everybody's really open to trying something different, trying something new, and it just kind of creates this uh, community that's very collegial. Um, the hard part about it though being... Um, A working board and volunteer run is there can be difficulties with, you know, um, recruitment and and getting the work done. It's a lot of work for the small group that's on the board, um, as well as the membership and the volunteers. It doesn't always run extremely smoothly, but um, it's really great to see, like, you know, the positive attitudes that we have from those volunteers in our communities and the artists in our communities that contribute and how accepting people are of, you know... You know, sometimes things don't run extremely smoothly and people are are okay with that. And we are flexible and, um, yeah, try to try to do things in a different way than um, in what most galleries might possibly do
1: right and it's artists that are the administrators which might sounds to me a little bit like the inmates running the asylum but uh (laughs) uh, that's that's actually really interesting because then you're you're kind of bored and you're uh i don't know if you have staff but your volunteers are all you know pushing in the direction of you know creativity and free expression are not necessarily uh you know what the the dictates of the granting body might might require as a curator might be more concerned with um so, you, you know, you mentioned uh, you've been, you you incorporated in 2017, you've been working since 2016. That's a good, that's a good run so far. Like, what, where's the future for Amanika? What, are you planning any, any, uh, expansion? Are you, like, what, what's your, what's your vision for this space in the future?
2: Well, we, did, we have, um, we're, we're in a building that has access to additional space, uh, that, you know, of course, we're extremely limited the rent is you know quite high in the downtown core uh we are grateful that the owner of the building prp holdings gives us um, a donation monthly um of a small portion of our rent but you know all of our events they are they're focused on supporting our arts and we're grateful that um that the owner is supporting us as well but we're also we've Played and toyed with the idea of an expansion of using the upstairs, uh, which has a series of different rooms that could be used for various community art uses, you know, art classes, um, workshops and things like that. So that expansion is a possible possibility in the future. Our hopes are that we can um, acquire some funding to have an arts administrator of some sort, whatever role we want to call it. Um, that could do a lot of the work that our volunteers are doing currently. There is a lot to it, right? There's um, financial, there's uh, organizing, there's planning, there's the actual, like, the facilities work. If we want to do that, we want to do some upgrades for accessibility. Um, the cost and the amount of work that that is in finding the funding for that is uh, really important for people to have, you know, wheelchair access and, um, and you know, wheelchair accessible washrooms and stuff like that, but You know, as we come out of a pandemic and we did have some funds um, raised before, uh, a lot of that went to the rent, even with the rent relief program. So those are kind of our big dreams is to be able to expand that. Our more um, achievable goals right now are, you know, we already expanded our stage by another four feet. Uh, We've put up curtains just for aesthetics. And we're working on um, an in-house sound system so that uh, it'll be a bit easier for people traveling through town, like um, artists and musicians, as well as for us and for our uh, awesome community um, sound technicians that have been really generous with their time. And, you know, of course we pay them, but we don't pay them enough. And that's kind of the going theme in the art scene is the artists aren't adequately compensated. So we want to kind of get to a point where we're rolling in enough um, uh, grants and things like that to provide, you know, back to our artists who, I don't know, know, you've got the usual starving artist theme, but (laughs) we want to be able to contribute um, back, so not just making the space, but also um, supporting the art so that starts to flourish in other ways. So uh, looking forward to, you know, um, improvements to the space just in the short term and then possible expansions and, uh, you know, uh, just getting our name out there more and having more community arts. Uh, engaged with us in partnerships like an art call, an annual art call would be one of those things we've talked about with the other organizations that we partner with a lot um, you know we are connected really closely with the community arts council studio 2080 and the two rivers gallery and you know we're just really starving for the opportunity to cross-pollinate and to partner on some big projects so now that we're out of the You know, out of the depths of the pandemic anyways, it's an ongoing thing. But um, I'm hoping we have more opportunities to do that. We're really appreciative of the support we've had from our our partners and from our community, um, from the BC Arts Council uh, that's sponsoring our, like, this is huge for us. We received a a grant for 18 months of artists in residencies. So that pays for um, our artists to come in and do workshops because our workshops are all free and the materials for those workshops and things like that. And then we also had, um, previous to this grant, we received a community, a Prince George Community Foundation um, grant for uh, performance in residence series or lo- locals live series where we were able to, because we couldn't have a full house, of you know, our capacity is about 150 people. Um, we can only have 50 during the pandemic, so that really, you know hurts the wallet and didn't really make things, um, possible, but we were able to get a grant to help support the musicians and the performing artists and the literary artists that were coming through at that time. So just continuing to apply for many grants and try and, um, throw the organization to a point where we have somebody running a lot of the business end of things. Um, you know, we need a curator, we need a lot of these things that, um, and, and, Currently, we're doing that work ourselves, but also bringing our volunteers along with us as kind of opportunities for professional ad, um, advancement themselves. So it's, it's been pretty good the way it's working right now, but it's a bit of a strain on you know the small group of I think there's about six, seven of us.
1: That um, sounds really exciting. I got to say, yeah. you know, as a member of the local uh, kind of music scene here, it's it's a it's a fantastic place to have available, and the fact that you were able to kind of run those grants through really did make it possible for there to be uh, some gigs during the pandemic when, you know, it wouldn't be uh, possible to actually make any money off of them without those grants. I did want to ask, you know, you mentioned an art crawl. I've heard about those things. Can you can you run us through what your vision for an art crawl here in Prince George would look like?
2: Um Yeah. It's, uh, I participated in the Sun in Vancouver. Basically, all the artists' organizations and galleries and even the shops that have like mini-galleries, like I'd say... Um, art space and uh, the Books and Company to participate and kind of create a map, a brochure, pamphlet, and all be open during an evening or a day. And um, it would be kind of like a site destination that people can go and crawl—not crawl, crawl literally—but they could bike or walk or drive or whatever um, gets them from A to B and check out the different uh, organizations. And a lot of times they would have like you know refreshments, um, some snacks and just have the opportunity for people to engage with the arts, if it's their first time or if they're artists or if they're art appreciators, um, and and kind of see what's going on in the downtown. It creates a uh, an opportunity for people to really connect and just get out and go to places they've never been, right? So you might know about, you know, the Two Rivers Gallery, but you might not have known about Studio Twenty Eight Eighty. So this is an opportunity for them all to come together at the same time and maybe even, you know... Um, Kind of share and give back to the community in various ways through workshops and stuff that may possibly happen. So, yeah, that's kind of kind of the vision that I I envision. I'm sure the other organizations might have some other ideas to contribute, and you know, I, but I do know that there is an appetite for it amongst the groups, and I'm sure that could grow because for all I know, there could be other um, smaller groups or galleries that um, we haven't yet engaged with that would jump on board and you know make it something that happen annually.
1: That sounds It's a lot exciting. of fun. <laughs> yeah, and I did want to make sure that uh listeners who are interested in Amanique and getting involved, like is there is there an opportunity for people to uh to support your work either financially or by volunteering?
2: Absolutely. Um supporting us, uh I'd say we definitely need more volunteers and board members. Um And in specific roles as well, especially like marketing, people with curatorial experience, marketing experience, um, even just uh, special event planning, grant writing, that type of stuff is really appreciated. Um, You know, financially support through sponsorships. Um, We're reaching out to organizations regularly for that. So On our website, you can find um, a place where you can look at sponsorship tiers, uh, donations, Uh, You can e-transfer. We have a square. There's a QR code you can scan and just, you know, use your credit card. You can be a one-time donor or a monthly donor or whatnot. Um, There's opportunities for people to become members there's various tiers there and really the accessibility and we need membership as an organization to, to do what we do i'm just going to give um, the
1: uh, because we got a, we are out of time i'm just going to give the uh website here yeah. it's com. that's com. thanks so much for coming in jen yeah you bet have a great day Silky Hen Design is the
3: artist-in-residence for May at Amenika Arts Centre. The May exhibition, Homework, will be a series of multimedia projects paying homage to the people, places, and memories that we love in our community. Provide your input before Tuesday through the Facebook page or by emailing Design at gmail.com. The final pieces will be on display starting May 14th with an opening reception. Homework by Silky Hen Design, the May Artist-in-Residence project at Amenika Arts Centre. The
4: Prince George Potter's Guild is excited to be offering classes again this spring. Beginner Wheel Level 1 will take place the next six Tuesday evenings from 6.30 to 9.30. No previous experience is required for this six-week course. Cost is $285, with registration available through the PG Potter's Guild Classes link under Gallery and Shop at Studio2880.com. The Beginner Wheel Level 1 course, starting Tuesday evening from the Prince George Potter's Guild.
3: Advocate's annual Walk for Life is coming up soon, and this year it will be an in-person walk for the first time in Prince George. Create your own fundraising page and commit to walking or running 5 or 10K, then invite your friends and family to sponsor you. The first ever Prince George Walk for Life in support of Advocate Life and Education Services, Saturday, May 28th at Clayton A Memorial Park. Sign up today through advocate.ca.
5: If you attended a federal Indian Day School, now is your time to make your claim. If you experience harm at your school, you may be eligible to receive a check for compensation. Remember, you need to make your claim before July 13, 2022. See if your school is on the list and get free legal help. Start at IndianDaySchools.com or call 1-844-539-3815. Claim what's yours.
0: Featuring the people who make things happen and Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Welcome back. We're here with our Friday panel. We've got uh, Art Betke in studio here. We're with Herb Martin, Peter Ewart, Eric Allen, and Trudy Clausen. Welcome all. Uh, we've got a few topics to talk about today. I mean, first of all, you know, it's, it's all over the news, this unpre- unprecedented leak of a draft opinion from the u.s supreme court on the roe v wade uh 1973 decision there um and you know i'm i'm interested in whether the panel thinks that there's going to be some uh repercussions i guess north of the border from this uh, art we'll start with you you're sitting right in front of me
6: well it's got nothing to do with canadian law so why would there be repercussions uh the, the left knows that it's toxic uh, to conservatives to, to mention abortion and so that's why every election the left brings it up the NDP or or the liberals they bring it up and it's the boogeyman you know they're going to ban election and ban contraception and ban women in the workplace and all those nasty things uh, no conservative government is going to touch it they're not going to they, they know it's toxic. It's uh, like Stephen Harper said uh, back uh, when he was running for leadership. He was at uh, a meeting with, I believe it was some church women, and they asked him if he would ban abortion. And he said, I can't. He said, if you want to ban abortion, you have to do it. You have to convince the public to be against it because... uh, As it stands, the public is very much for it, and no politician can ban it. And that's the situation as it stands in Canada. In the United States, uh, even if uh, Roe v.ersus Wade is overturned, it will not make abortions illegal, despite what people are saying. Uh, All it will do is uh, put the authority to regulate it back to the states where it belongs in the first place. Uh, Some states have regulations regarding it, but no states have banned it or will ban it.
1: I just want to jump in here because I do know that there are, I think, 17 states that have trigger laws that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, they will automatically ban abortions. So this is, this is the issue here, I guess. And it was interesting in the States, you know, you get 70% of the population is in favor of, uh, I guess we could say, the women's right to choose. But there's still, there's still this very strong kind of political uh, wave that's, uh, that's pushing against this. Herb, we'll go to you next. What do you think about this? Uh, you think that we've got something happening here that might actually impact Canadians?
6: Uh,
7: no. I mean, uh, Art has correctly pointed out that it's um, overwhelmingly accepted by the uh, public. Uh, the fact that it came up again uh, in the uh, leaders debate amongst the conservatives is astounding. Um, it 's um, it's, it's a sure or lose uh, issue for the conservatives and um, it, but somehow they just can 't leave it alone it 's not the uh, it 's not the liberal press that buttered up uh, the conservatives themselves buttered up in their leadership debate. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, this is. I mean, it's an important thing for for some conservative voters. Peter, do you think this is going to actually come into the you know political discourse here?
8: Uh, I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. I think where the impact is going to take place is in the United States, where um, you know this whole thing, like bringing this whole debate back, uh, it represents a uh, an attack on the, on the right of women to be able to choose whether or not to have an abortion. Uh, I think the other thing, like in regards to the United States. Uh, where I think it will have a, a bigger effect. It's an extraordinarily divisive issue, and it's right at a time when the people of the United States need to be more united and uh, get beyond this cold civil war that's going on. You know, there's sleepwalking towards major war in Europe. There's uh, rampant inflation, the supply chain problems, all kinds of infrastructure problems, and and now, now this thing gets resurrected. So I think, I don't know, I I get the feeling sometimes that it's a political establishment that wants uh, to uh, divide the people and divert the people by bringing back this uh, whole idea that women shouldn't have the right to choose.
1: Tari, is this going to actually impact us here? Is Should it be impacting us? Is this something that people should be talking about?
5: Well, I mean, they are our biggest, biggest neighbor, and, and I. but I think conversely, things that happen in Canada also tend to have an impact in the U.S. I think the the huge problem here with what happened is the fact that it was a court leak, right? Like, I mean, that's, um, it politicizes the court. It's really unfortunate. Um, but I agree with, was that Herb that was speaking last? Peter. Peter. I think Peter's right about the, there's just so much about this that just represents the entire chaos that we're in actually. I mean, like across the West, um, you know we're busy fighting against each other on whatever kind of minutia that we can find and uh, you know we're, we're a po- we we say that we want uh, like for instance we we say we want drug treatment and yet nobody wants a drug treatment facility in their neighborhood you know we, we i think it's you know i'm i really enjoy bashing the political elite and the leadership of you know whatever Who because i love to i mean i love to blame them but but there is a time when all of us just need to maybe take a little bit of a chill pill and grow up and see that, like, that we all are living together here. And if we just keep tearing at each other, it's just like any relationship. If we just keep tearing at each other, uh all that's going to be is a whole bunch of pieces on the floor. And, I mean, I think, I mean, sorry to digress into Putin, but I think that's what Putin is seeing. He's seeing that we're just busy tearing each other up over Whatever possibly we can find, and he's seeing an advantage there.
1: Right, Eric, got last word on this. Any? Uh, are you going to break the consensus here, or are you got? Uh, is, is it? Is it pretty much nothing? No, no news up north.
9: Well, I don't. You know, I don't fully understand uh, what this uh, Supreme Court opinion uh, means when they wrote, when they write that opinion. Does that somehow or other, when it goes public, uh, that then becomes the law? There's no discussion prior to the opinion being written. So that's one that kind of bothers me a bit. Second one, coming across the border, I think if if it actually goes back or they throw out Roe versus Wade and and it goes back to the states, people from some of those states will go to other states to get their abortion. Don't know about the criminal aspects of that. And then some will come across to Canada to get it, those that have more money and can travel further. So, yeah, there will be repercussions uh, I don't think that the Canadian government or Canadian political parties will get into it in a big way. But, uh, you know, I suppose somewhere down the road they're going to have to have another discussion on it, and open it all up. And, uh, you know, it comes back down to women's right to choose from the sounds of it. And, uh, you know, if that's what we believe, then maybe we should butt our nose out of it. All
1: right. Well, you get the last word on that, and we'll take a short break. Studio 2880 Artesian Gift Shop is hosting a spring pottery sale. Perfect for Mother's Day gifts. Stop Saturday between
6: 9 and 3. Check out the greatest selection of items from Gone to Pot Ceramics, Damn Good Pottery, Kith and Kiln Pottery, Wild Nature Creations, The Argyle Artist, and I
1: Felt Ya Not. Come in and snag your favorites. Studio 2880's pop-up spring pottery sale. Saturday from 9 to 3 at Studio 2880's Artesian Gift Shop. The Prince
4: George Men's Shed is now open at 2816 Norwood Street. A men's shed is the modern shared equivalent of a basement workshop. It's a place for men to get together for companionship, carpentry and coffee. You don't need any special skills to join a shed, just the desire to share experiences and stories while working on community projects. The Prince George Men's Shed is open Saturdays from 9 a.m. to noon at 2816 Norwood Street. For more information, call Craig at 250-565-7569.
10: It's been five years since BC banned grizzly bear hunting. To preserve the fragile grizzly bear population, the Grizzly Bear Foundation is seeking donations for Project Rewild, a multi-year research program to develop a scientific understanding of orphaned grizzly cub captive rearing and rewilding efforts. All donations go directly toward helping preserve BC's wild grizzly bear population. For more information or to donate... Visit grizzlybearfoundation.com.
3: Forecast from Environment Canada for today. A few showers ending late this afternoon, then cloudy. Wind from the southwest at 20K starting near noon, a high of 8. Tonight, mainly cloudy. A 30% chance of showers this evening with southwest winds becoming light, a low of 0. On Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud becoming cloudy in the afternoon. Wind from the west at 20 starting near noon and a high of 12.
0: Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After Nine on ninety three point one CFIS FM.
1: So next up, we have this this interesting announcement from Attorney General David Eby uh, and and Public Safety Minister Mike Farmworth. Uh, they came out saying that they are going to appoint a panel to uh, to look into prolific offenders in the province, and it's I. I find it strange because it comes on the heels of a really massive liberal party push. Like we, we saw Mike Morris here put out up a press release about the fact that, you know, there are these prolific offenders who are, who are causing all these problems and there's a road kind of a revolving door in the Mm -hmm. justice system. Um, And you kind of, I, I wouldn't have expected the government to actually be like, yeah, I guess you're right. Opposition. Uh, We should probably do something about this. I, I'm interested in, I'm not interested in what the report's going to say because it's another report and who knows what, whether they actually do something, but you know, this is uh, this is David EB, uh, looking good in brand new glasses, uh, <laughs> who's, who's coming out. And the, the word on the street is that Horgan's going to probably step down. Right. And you're going to have a big, there's going to be a big race with some very high profile NDP, uh, uh, ministers in there, including Eby. You know, how does this play into that? And and is it a good political move to be kind of acquiescing to the uh, the liberal demands on prolific offenders? Uh, Herb, we'll start with you.
7: Well, I mean, he's got to be seen as as doing something, and this and sending it to uh, a committee or or uh, a panel is is at least something. But um, uh, look, there is. Um, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, weaseling going on on this subject. Uh, there is a, uh, a statute in the in Canadian law called uh, dangerous offender, and uh, that exists. And if people are are out there uh, committing lots of crimes and um, and threatening um, public uh, safety, then they can they can be um, labeled as a dangerous offender and put away for seven years. So uh, we already have that. Uh, the people on the street don't seem to be uh, reaching that um, that threshold. So uh, I think there's, there's a lot of um, uh, a lot of clamor by the liberals for uh, some sort of law and order issue that uh, they they can stake a claim and on and um, and maybe win some votes on. But um, it just seems, uh, yeah, it's all kind of uh, just political drama at this point.
1: I wonder um, about that. I mean, there there are. You know, some of the stats that were, uh, included in this article out of The Citizen mentioned that there is one Prince George prolific offender, and they're not dangerous, this is the issue, they're not making dangerous, uh, crimes, right? Had 916 police files in the last six years. 260 of those were recorded in the last year. 62 were misdemeanor related, and none resulted in charges. Peter, like, is this is this an actual issue we should be talking about, or we, or is the catch and release thing, as, as Mike Morris calls it, uh, the way to go forward with policing?
8: Uh, well, I think it is something to be to, to talk about, right? In terms of uh, you know, it's a it is a social problem. Um, my Issue with it is uh, whatever the NDP and liberals come up with and all this are are they, do, are they going to under are, are they going to address some of the underpinnings of this problem and I think one of the biggest problems is the whole issue of safe supply you know that um, addicts uh, for example uh, account for uh, they have to raise hundreds of dollars a day uh, to provide their habits and uh, you know that 's through uh, you know very petty crime of various kinds uh, shoplifting etc and all this say having safe supply in my opinion would uh, would help in that regard in terms of would uh, uh, you know undermine that need of, of addicts to to feed their habits the second thing is homelessness we have to address homelessness as well because a lot of these things come out of are, are related to people who are homeless or, or homeless situations and the third thing is Having, addic- having proper and useful supports, addiction and mental health supports. So I, you know, I, I'm not sure that that, that that this review will come up with any of those kinds of things. But I, I think unless we look at the underpinnings of these problems, law and order is not going to solve it. Uh, we we need uh, to look at the underpinnings and deal with them first.
1: Trudy, what do you think of the move? Is it is it good politics or is it good sense?
5: Well, it's just another report. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, I don't know if you, any, anyone else remembers the city council meeting maybe within the last two months, I think, where it was a bit, it was actually a bit spicy. Usually our city council meetings are quite boring and everyone is say, thanking everyone else for all their excellent work. And this one, there was actually a bit of, uh, it was when Sean Wright was there, Superintendent Sean Wright was there and he was being challenged on his budget request and okay so now that's coming back to me as i'm talking and um there was some pushback about well saying like come on you guys aren't doing your job there's so many people that are like the whole catch and release thing right and the little part of what i thought was oh this is shedding some light on the problem the crown prosecutor Was there was some issues there that you could tell by just? I mean, if you go back and watch it, you'll hear uh, Superintendent Wright just allude to that there may be some difficulties be um, and not seeing eye to eye between the police and the crown prosecutor with how to treat uh, chronic offenders. Um, So, I mean, again, I think I mean this. It's it's sort of a social problem, and it's a you know kicking the can to someone else. It's I mean, you know, David Eby can maybe, is, is very likely looking at this as a political issue. I mean, he's got, like you said, his new glasses. He's probably got a new dye job on his hair. Uh, <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'm, I'm feeling a bit punchy today.
1: Art, right, you're next. What do you think? Is this good politics or good sense? Oh, this is just pure politics.
5: Uh, if you
6: recall, uh, in the past, uh, the federal government, any time a government became. Uh, embroiled in something and the pressure was too great and they had to do something, they would appoint a royal commission to study it. (laughs) And there it would disappear, never to be heard from again. And any time they were questioned upon it, well, we're waiting for the royal commission's report. And uh, that's basically what they're doing here. They're just kind of hiding it away so it will disappear. Uh, Now, in my opinion, I'm sure a lot of people will disagree Uh, The biggest problem with the left is they believe in policies that don't work oftentimes. Even in the face of demonstrable failure, when those policies are enacted, they still believe them. And so uh, EB doesn't really want to change anything. Uh, The pressure to release over and over again comes from the provincial government, not uh, the police or the local judges.
1: Eric, you've got last word on this real quick before our break
9: yeah I think uh, you know <clears throat> both the uh, n d p and the liberals are responsible. We could probably take forty fifty percent of the prolific offenders and track them back ten fifteen years so they 're not new they 've been around for a long time but but your justice system and your law system starts to break down when you have people committing crimes and basically understand that there 's no repercussions for doing that and they basically they 're out on the street and going next day they're out on the street committing more crimes. So that's not good for your justice system. It's not good for the public at large. It's not good for people who work at stores and have to deal with these people on a regular basis. And we need to do something about it besides hide behind reports. Everybody knows who these people are. Everybody knows they're breaking the law. We've got some uh, uh, space up in the hill there that's not being utilized. We took, to got rid of the Lake because supposedly we didn't need it. The whole situation needs to be looked
1: at. All right, thanks. We're uh,
10: going to take a short break. We'll be back after this. An exciting new fundraiser is in the works with the goal of having more than 100 lemonade stands across PC on June 18. The proceeds will be designated to Joanne's House, which provides accommodations in Kelowna for out-of-town families with loved ones receiving care at Kelowna General Hospital. For more information on Good Lemonade Day or to sign up, visit goodlemonadeday.ca. Lemonade Day in support of Joanne's House in Kelowna, June 18th across B.C. Sign-up deadline
3: is May 29th. The 2022 B.C. Summer Games are looking for first aid medical volunteers for July 21st to 24th. Most sports require volunteers with basic first aid, while some need a higher certification. The Games Society is hosting the Sports Med B.C. course Sports First Aid and Concussion Management on June 18th and 19th. To volunteer for the 2022 B.C. Summer Games, register through the volunteer link at bcgames.org. The 2022 BC Summer Games, July 21st to 24th in Prince George. Spirit lives here. Explore tools for
10: creating a culture that actively embraces a spectrum of voices and lived experiences with vantage points. Board Fundamentals, Board Diversity and Inclusion. This three-hour workshop will help not-for-profit board members and executive directors learn key concepts and strategies for creating board diversity. Registration and full details are available through the calendar link under training at vantagepoint.ca. Board Fundamentals, Diversity and Inclusion, Tuesday, June 28th from 5.30 to 8.30 via Zoom. Can you hear that?
4: The SOS to the world from the people of Ukraine. And you've never wanted to help more, yet you've never felt more helpless. Here's what you can do. Give to the Ukraine Humanitarian Crisis Appeal. The Red Cross is on the ground to make sure your donation supplies food, water, shelter, and other urgent support. Show everyone affected by the Ukraine conflict that you hear them, loud and clear. Go to
1: redcross.ca.
0: This is after nine on Prince George's Community Station, ninety-three point one CFIS FM.
1: And we're back. The final topic today is, of course, the exciting uh, trading of barbs that we that we saw between the uh, most of the candidates for the conservative leadership race. Uh, peter did you uh, have you have you seen this did you have any opinions on who's out in front and who's someone that we might want to watch who uh, who's going to come up from behind and maybe take this away from the clear front runner Poilier?
8: well my impression of the whole thing is it's like a pro wrestling match we all know it's fake right they, they throw insults back and forth and so on uh but in the in the long run they they come together and i think it for me, the problem is, is that it exposes the problem of the representational system that we have, where we hand over all the power to uh, these political parties, and once they get into power, they do what they want, or mm-hmm. they do what the political establishment wants. Instead of the discussion should be taking place, the discussion and decision-making should be taking place amongst the Canadian people, uh, rather than us having to sit and watch on TV this uh, spectacle, this wrestling match, the pro-wrestling match that goes on, and we're supposed to be impressed by it, but I'm not impressed by it. I think we should have, there should be more power in the hands of people and there should be mechanisms that political mechanisms that bring that about.
1: Trini, what do you think? Was there, was there anything of value or was it just a pro wrestling match like Peter said?
5: <laughs> well, I think uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a different tack because I actually wasn't able to watch it because I was in a meeting. Um, I think actually the winners of the debate were the Canada Strong and Free Network and Candace Malcolm and Jamal, what's his name?
1: The other, the other moderator,
5: you mean? The two moderators because this gave them a profile, uh, and I think it's a little bit of what we're seeing here is a new conservative tack, which is to build up alternative media and alternative media sources, uh, as like in, in Candace and, uh, and Jamal. So I think actually they were the the big winners of this. That's my take on it.
1: That's interesting, Eric. Do you what do you think? Was there was there useful information for the prospective conservative voter, or was it just a great entertaining time?
9: I never I never got a chance to watch it, so I, I couldn't say on that part of it. But I mean, I'm sure they didn't say nothing that hasn't been said a hundred times. I think uh, as a right now we're probably looking at Chiray uh, and uh, Pierre Paulivay or whatever his name is. He's, yeah, he's accusing uh, Sheree of being a liberal, and of course Sheree's trying to put him on the run for being far right, yada, yada, yada. So I think at the end of the day, probably Pierre will be the man. That's sort of the way it looks right now, but I'm not necessarily saying that's a good thing, but the six you got for, to choose from is really not that great of a, a bunch of candidates, so I'm not happy with any of them.
1: Right, I know you watched it. What were your thoughts?
6: Uh, it, uh, Pierre Polyev uh, tried to uh, portray Cherie as a liberal, and I think he did a pretty good job of it because uh, his record speaks for itself. Um, and Cherie tried to nail Pierre as for uh, supporting the truckers' convoy, which got him a big boo. It, it bombed. Uh, They basically didn't say anything that hasn't already been said in the lead-up to the debate uh, throughout all the news cycles and everything. Those are the only two that have a chance. Uh, I think Sherey is quite a uh, distance behind. Uh, He's got a lot of baggage to overcome, and uh, to me, he kind of seems like yesterday's man, and he's supporting a lot of uh, Trudeau's initiatives like uh, the gun grab and... uh, carbon tax and the like that Polyev is totally against. So uh, to me, it looks like Polyev's got the lead and it's his to lose.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you watched it and Eric did it, but you had the same conclusion. <laughs>
6: <laughs> there was really nothing in the debate that was different from what's been heard before the debate. Uh,
1: the one thing that I'm interested in is, you know, Shere, uh actually is apparently making lots of money, is raising lots of money. And I wonder wh- how that's gonna, whether that's gonna have an impact on the actual race or, you know, cause ever is clearly like way out in front in terms of support, but...
5: At the end of the day, it's individual votes that get you in, right? Right. And I think Sheree's supporters are mostly big, big buck people who have still only one vote.
1: Uh, Herb, what did you think? Uh,
7: it was, it was kind of a sad spectacle. You got, um, conservatives spending a lot of time on, um, uh, issues that uh, Canadians overwhelmingly decided upon and talked about uh, vaccines and abortions and uh, I think uh, what, uh, 88% of uh, Canadians are fully vaccinated and uh, two-thirds of all Canadians believe that abortion rights uh, should be respected so it's not not an auspicious start to the Conservative campaign Uh, no one's really talking about current issues Um, lots of buzzwords being um, thrown around like being a liberal or the term freedom. Um, I, I would have liked to see some some really um, uh, concrete solutions to some of the current problems that we have. Um, it, the conservatives just seem so firmly stuck in the past and, and determined to fight battles that have, have been fought already.
1: That's interesting. I mean, we do, it's, it's, the question that keeps coming to my mind is without things like social conservative issues, uh and and even the carbon tax like what is the real difference between the conservatives and the liberals because polyev his housing plan looks very similar to the liberals housing plan um you know it's it's funny it's i i don't want to be uh so cynical but man that red and blue is that the only difference between these two parties especially when the last the last leader Aaron o'toole was uh he was so red he you know his 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 own party had to kick him out uh any final words on the the future of this uh of this race we have we have until september right now
5: Mm. gosh i don't know
6: yeah um a lot of people are saying that uh, sheree is a liberal plant Um, and uh, the difference between the parties is uh, more like polyev wants to give everybody what he calls freedom uh That means release from all the strictures and restrictions that uh, Trudeau is imposing on the populace, like that totally useless and ridiculous uh, vaccine mandate for truckers crossing the border or to fly or take a train or anything like that, does nothing now. Um, So he wants to get rid of those kind of things. Uh, Trudeau seems to be uh, a wannabe tyrant. At least that's the impression he gives me. And... uh, he kind of proved that with the the Emergencies Act, um, and th- I think that's going to work against him. Uh, that's that's where the uh, conservatives are going to shine.
1: All right. Well, thanks everyone for your time today, and uh, have have yourselves a great weekend.
0: After Nine is a daily presentation of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Claussen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at CFISFM.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at yahoo.ca. CA
1: You're listening to CFIS FM Prince George a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1